Uh, take your Bible and open to John chapter 15. That's where we find ourselves. Uh, we are in the 15th chapter, uh, working our way this wonderful, through this wonderful text, this Gospel of John. Uh, this is the second time that we are looking at the particular verses we're going to look at this morning, uh, verses 17 through 25. As you know the story, because I try to introduce it each week, the Lord and his 11 true disciples have left the upper room. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Lord has been teaching them those things that are dear upon his heart because his time of departure is at hand. He's about to leave. So he's spoken things to them of great comfort and great encouragement. He's taught them in a variety of different issues and subjects. And he wants them to know what it's going to be like for them in this world after he departs. John 15, starting in verse 17. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they uh, kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not sinned. But now they have no excuse for the sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So again, this is the night the Lord Jesus is betrayed. He has told them previously that they're going to bear fruit for God, that there's going to be a great connection, a very close connection between them and him if they abide in him. And that if they abide in him, he'll give them great joy, that his life will flow through them. He's called them his friends. But again, he also wants to warn them about what is coming. He wants them to know what it's going to be like to represent him in this world, that it's not going to be easy that they're going to face extreme hostility in a world as they stand and give testimony for the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, when Luke records Jesus' words after his death, burial, and resurrection and the great commission he gives there, he says this. uh, Christ in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Uh, the word witness, uh, martos, uh, we get our English word martyr from. Now, originally, the word just meant simply that, just witness. But so many men and women in the early church uh, who were faithful to the testimony concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ were killed. The word actually came to be known as a person who dies for their testimony for Jesus Christ. That's what a martyr is. And in this text of Scripture before us, He's not going to only tell uh, the disciples the fact that they are going to be, some of them, martyred. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be hated for their association with Christ. But he's going to explain to them why, why it's going to happen. I said predominantly, uh, last time I said the the predominant theme, really, with all these men together that evening, really has been, uh, up to this point, an attitude of love. But now it's going to take a radical change, a radical departure. There's going to be a dramatic shift from, from love to hate. And again, the Lord, out of his kindness and his concern for his disciples, he wants them to know what is coming because he doesn't want them to be caught off guard. 
He wants them also to know that he's well aware of what it means to represent him in this world, uh, what it's going to be like for them in a fallen world. He knows that. In fact, the last Lord's Day together, I spent a great portion of our time making you aware of the fact that Christians have been persecuted. Uh, literally millions, if not hundreds of millions of believers have been persecuted and martyred for their faith in Christ since the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. I kind of gave you a high-level flyover, if you will, of some of the different texts in the New Testament uh, that shows how persecution broke out in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 4 with the persecution of the religious leaders against Peter and John, and then how it moved to the place where the religious leaders stoned Stephen to death in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Chapter 8, great persecution breaks out uh, under uh, the direction of Saul of Tarsus, and then he meets the risen Christ in in, in chapter 9 of that book, and he is converted, and then he too, Paul, is persecuted for his faith in Christ, and it just goes on and on. Chapter 12 of the book of Acts, Herod removes the head of James. James is the first apostle to be murdered in the Bible. And I told you that uh, church history records that all of the apostles, except for John, who dies in exile on the island of Patmos, they're all martyred for their faith in Christ, with, of course, the exception of Judas, who commits suicide because of his betrayal of Christ. So persecution really is the lot uh, for those who follow Christ. Persecution really has been the lot of those who are the history of those who pursue righteousness all throughout human history. In fact, if you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where Cain raises up against his brother Abel in Genesis 4 and slays Abel, murders him in cold blood. John gives in his epistle, the, or in his, uh, in his epistle in 1 John 3, he gives the reason why that wicked act occurred. 1 John 3 verse 11 says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Persecution for righteousness by unrighteous people in the world has always occurred all the way from the beginning. You're well aware of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews records that great hall of fame a faith chapter, godly men and godly women throughout time. Verse 33 says, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped uh, the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings and, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains, caves and holes in the ground. Persecution for righteousness has been the lot of God's people. Again, Stephen, in that great testimony he gives in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, he gives a testimony of the history of God and his dealing with mankind. And then Stephen just sharply rebukes the the religious leaders, Acts 7, verse 51. He says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are just doing as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced to them the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. 
You, are, you received the law as ordained by angels, yet you did not keep it. I'm telling you what, when you start telling truth to that level straight up in the face of truth opposers, that's going to get a reaction. And it did. You know the story. The religious leaders rise up and they kill him. They murder him. Persecution of God's righteous people have always been the way things have been in a fallen world. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, at the beginning of the, the church, all the way bo- through the book of the Revelation, all onward in uh, early church history. I told you there were great, ten great periods of Roman persecution against the early church trying to wipe it out. Persecution in the Middle Ages, persecution all the way through the times of the Reformation, and even up to our day as I spoke, some sources suggesting that perhaps up to 100,000 Christians are murdered every year in this world for their faith in Christ, their testimony for Christ. Other sources reporting that perhaps two-thirds of all of the Christians who have been martyred for their faith in Christ throughout all of recorded human history have been killed since the beginning of the 19th century. Believers killed everywhere around the world, either by communist regimes or slaughtered by Islam or other false religious systems such as Roman Catholicism. Genuine believers have always been persecuted because genuine believers represent God who is truth. And unrighteous people hate the truth. But biblical Christianity tells you the truth about everything truth about God and man's responsibility to him the truth that God made man male and female the truth that all men are under sin the truth that there's none righteous no not one the Bible tells you the truth about time the Bible tells you the truth about eternity the Bible tells you the truth about righteousness it tells you the truth about justice the Bible tells you the truth about life and death and the judgment to come But unrighteous people hate the truth. Unrighteous people hate the truth and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They fight against it. They try to hold it down because unrighteous people are governed by Satan who is a liar and the father of lies. And it's Satan and his followers that dominate this world system, this world's kingdoms. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a present evil age. This is a perverse and crooked uh, generation where men live in darkness because they hate the light. John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come in the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Men are dead in trespasses and sins. They're lovers of darkness rather than light. Because they love to do their evil deeds. They hate the light. They hate the truth. Dominated by sin. Dominated by the devil. Dominated by the the prince of the power of the air who works now currently in the sons of disobedience. They're haters of God. Haters of truth. Haters of Christ. But Christians are truth tellers. Christians are truth-tellers in this world. And we're going to be persecuted because of that. Therefore, we should expect it. And we should prepare our hearts to face it. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
First Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 4, verse 14, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit and the glory of God rests upon you. We should not be surprised when persecution comes. We should prepare our hearts for its eventuality because it is coming. And we should prepare our hearts in advance to stand strong, to be faithful to Christ, to determine that we're not going to compromise with error. We're not going to cave because we're truth tellers tellers, and we follow the one who is the truth. Now, we've enjoyed a time of reprieve here in the West, especially in the United States, but we can all see, if we just look around, we can see that time is coming quickly to a close. Our safeties, our freedoms are quickly eroding. The pressures against Christians and Christianity is mounting in the culture. Persecution is escalating all around the world. Therefore, we should not be surprised when it comes here even, it comes, even if it comes to the level of shedding our own blood, because that has been the history of God's redeemed people. But again, what we need to do is prepare our hearts, and we need to have a biblical understanding. We need to change our attitude towards it. Now, I'm not saying we should embrace suffering. I'm not saying we should go out and seek persecution. We should not. But as we live as salt and light in the world, representing Christ and representing the truth in a world of lies, in a world of darkness, persecution will come. And what we need to do is grasp a heavenly perspective on the issue. So put a mark right there in your Bible and then turn with me very quickly back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 10. And listen to what the Lord Jesus says should be our attitude when persecution comes for the sake of righteousness. Matthew 5, starting in verse 10. The Lord Jesus speaking, says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Verse 12 Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, how long is heaven? Long time. Forever, right? And those who are Christ-like, those who live for Christ in a fallen, perverse world, will receive a reward that is eternal. Great is your reward in heaven. So when persecution comes, Christ says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. If you have the uh, authorized version, the King James, it says, Be exceedingly glad. And it really means to skip and jump with happy excitement. It's not just joy, but it's overflowing joy. Really 
exceedingly glad. What's interesting about that phrase there, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. When we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness or for righteousness' sake, the Savior commands us to rejoice, to be glad, to skip, jump for happiness for two reasons. First reason, because your reward in heaven is great. Again, I'm not saying go out and invite persecution. I'm not saying go out and be glad you're getting beat up. But what if you're getting beat up, but if you're receiving persecution, the Lord says you need to be be exceedingly glad because, number one, your reward in heaven is great. Your association with Christ proves that you belong to him and that, where are you going? Your reward in heaven. Your persecution for the sake of Christ proves that you belong to him and you're destined for glory. It's proof, your persecution for the sake of Christ, it's proof that you're going to heaven, that you do not belong to this world. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Secondly, why he says we should rejoice and be joyful when persecution comes. Not only is our reward in heaven great, not only does it prove that we belong to him, that we're not a part of this world, we're destined for glory, but number two, we find ourselves in great company. We find ourselves in great company, for they also persecuted the prophets who are before you. Those former, before us, truth-tellers, those who walked in righteousness and holiness, those who loved justice, that long line of godly men that God sent into the world with the truth, the messengers of God. So being persecuted for righteousness places you in that group, in that long line of men and women persecuted for righteousness, persecuted for holiness, persecuted for their relationship with God in Christ. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what's the heavenly perspective on persecution for the sake of righteousness that we need to get a grip on? When you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness in an unbelieving world, it lets you know without a shadow of doubt, with absolute certainty, you don't belong to that world, you belong to Christ. You're part of his kingdom. You've been saved eternally. That means that no one or no thing can ever remove you from the love of God in Christ. Not even persecution, not even martyrdom. And listen, the world doesn't persecute pretenders. The world doesn't persecute pretenders. Someone once said, wolves aren't interested in painted sheep. That's a good statement, right? They know the difference. They go after the the ones that are true. So Christ says, look, your perspective should be happy. Again, not that you're being persecuted, but happy because it shows that you're blessed. Because you lived a life in a fallen world that, that you look enough like the Savior that people have actually taken notice of your life. And you stand in stark contrast to the perverse world around you. That's living as salt and light in a uh, perverse world, a corrupt world, a dark world. So we need to get a biblical perspective on this, Christ's perspective. 
Now go back to the, to the text, and we'll start working our, our way through the text. Again, it's Thursday evening. He has been betrayed by Judas. He's literally just hours away from his arrest and crucifixion. And again, he wants these men whom he loves to understand that the world is going to hate them, the world is going to persecute them. Just like the world hated him and persecuted him, their Lord. So that's why one more time the Lord repeats that command in verse 17. He said the same thing back in chapter 13, verse 34. He said it twice there. He said it in chapter 15, verse 12. Again here, verse 17. This I command you that you love one another. Fourth time, just at a few verses. This I command you, you love, present, active. You keep on loving one another. It's vitally important, the Savior says, that you who are believers in me, followers of me, that you keep on loving one another. Because as I told you last time, we are all we have. So if you've got a problem with somebody in the room, you need to reconcile it. You need to get it taken care of because we are all we have. The world is going to hate us, therefore we'd better stick together. We'd better love each other. We'd better be an encouragement to each other. We better, through love, serve one another. Being kindly affectionate to one another. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. There should never be a quarrel in the body of Christ that can't be reconciled and reconciled quickly. I mean, if Christ forgave us of our sin against him, that took him from the realm of glory and his rule to come and incarnate himself, to suffer and die in our place, if he condescended in that kind of great love for us as a demonstration of the kind of love that we are to demonstrate towards each other, why in the world would we ever hold grudges towards anybody in the body of Christ? Got to be quick accounts. Time short, eternity is coming. Can never let division come in the body of Christ, ever. Love the brotherhood. Above all things, be fervent in love towards one another. Again, we better be loving each other constantly, keep on actively, presently loving one another because we're the only people we have in this world. The world around us is going to hate us. Therefore, we should always be showing humility and gentleness, being patient with forbearance towards one another in love. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, the Lord's going to give three reasons why the world hates his followers, the followers of Christ so much. First, the world rejects or hates the, those who are not part of it. The world hates Christians because they hated Christ. And then the world hates Christians because they don't know God. I'll go over those again. We did the first one last time. We worked our way through that. Now let me just kind of give you a very quick review. Why does the world hate the followers of Christ so much? Reason number one, the world hates or rejects those who are not part of it. Again, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember I told you the, world, the word world cosmos here, it's not the physical earth, but it's really the world system that is under the control of Satan and his demons. It's the world system that is in opposition and rebellion against God. It's the fallen world system compromised or comprised of all unregenerate people with all of the twisted values and unrighteous, unrighteous ambitions and evil ideologies and practices. It's all the anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Scripture thinking that sets itself up against God and sets itself up against Christ and his kingdom. That's the world. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. I chose you. Like my I picked, I elected. That's what the word means. I told you it's in the middle, which means basically I chose you out of the world for myself. I did this. Now, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you out of the world for myself. Again, the world hates the followers of Christ. It hates believers because they have been elect by God. They've been chosen by God, by God's sovereign grace, by God's great kindness uh, taken out of the world. Uh, again, John fifteen sixteen. you did not choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So again, very simply, the world rejects and hates those who are not part of it. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been taken out of this world system, this evil world system. Therefore, we are called not to partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them in Ephesians 5 and 11. 1 Peter 1, 13, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We're not in this realm. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. In the past, but before you came to faith in Christ, you were just like the unsaved world around you. 1 Peter 4, 3. You were carrying out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts and drunkenness and carousals in drinking and parties and abominable idolatries, but now no more in Christ. In Christ, you've been transformed. In Christ, you've been made a new creation. In Christ, you've been changed from the inside out. Therefore, the world, your old friends, that you used to be a part of, verse 4, 1 Peter 4, verse 4, in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation, and they have maligned you. You know that to be true. Your old friends that you've left for, because of your faith in Christ, they slander you. They speak evil of you. They're surprised you don't go get drunk with them. That you don't run, in, run into the same excess of dissipation. Your old friends now want no part of you. Because you won't go and sin with them anymore. And now you understand what they don't understand. Verse 5 of that chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5. They don't understand, but you do, that they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a great separation between those in the world and those who have been taken out of the world by the mercy and grace of God through Christ. We're no longer a part of this world. We now love Christ. We love the truth. We love the Word of God. We love God the Father. 
Uh, we've been made new creations in Christ, again, given new life. We want to honor God. We want to honor Christ with the entirety of our lives and always. We want to honor God in Christ. And again, our lives of holiness and righteousness stand as an affront against the wicked and the per- wickedness and the perversion of a fallen world around us that rejects God and rejects Christ, that is hostile towards God in Christ. Therefore, the world rejects and hates us because we are no longer a part of it. Secondly, the world hates Christ because it hated, or the world hates Christians because it hated Christ. The world hates Christians because it hated Jesus Christ. Again, verse 18, if the world hates you, and I really think it's implied and it will, since the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Drop down to verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. Now again, the word hate is a very strong word. I told you that Jesus uses it intentionally because he wants to convey the true feelings of the world towards him. They hate him. He's innocent, but nevertheless, they're going to murder him. The Lord said in John 7, 7, that the world hated him because he testified against it that its deeds are evil. John 5, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing those things on the Sabbath. Verse 18. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he's calling God his own father, making himself equal with God because he is. John 7, verse 1. After these things... Jesus was walking in Galilee for his unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Verse 19 of that chapter, why do you seek to kill me? Verse 25, therefore some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? John 8, verse 37, again to the religious authorities, the Jews, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 40, as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Verse 59 of that chapter, John 8, verse 59, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. John 10, 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. John 11, verse 53, from that day on, they planned together to kill him. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says we should consider him. Right? Hebrews 12, verse 3, we should consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. We should consider Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now again, the Jewish religious leaders are going to falsely accuse the Lord here just in a couple hours. They're going to have a false illegal trial. Then they're going to have Jesus scourged, uh, which is a physical torture just uh, short of death and sometimes actually cause the, the death in people. And he's absolutely innocent. He's absolutely innocent. And they're going to murder him by way of crucifixion. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, Jesus said that back in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. He says, behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, Therefore, be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. 
But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And brother will deliver a brother to death and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciples that he become as his teacher and a slave as his master if they called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household. The world hates you and knows that it hated me before it hated you. Hated me, the sinless Son of God. Hated me, the compassionate Savior, the compassionate, gracious Christ. Again, the one who out of his great condescending kindness love and mercy, left the courts of heaven, left eternity, came to this earth, put on our humanity so that he might step into our place and suffer and die, bear our penalty so that God would punish him and not punish us so that we might be forgiven, reconciled to God and not face God's wrath for our sin because Christ became the sin bearer. Consider him. The world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word I said to you. Slaves not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He wants them to know what's going to happen. And again, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Implied, it really is. You can count on it. You need to expect it. You need to prepare for it. They're going to hate you because you're not of this world. They're going to hate you because you now belong to me. They're going to hate you because they hated me. They're going to hate you because you proclaim my truth. And they're going to hate you because you proclaim my name. You represent me in this world that hates me. So if you identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, you will at some point, this is for everyone in the room, you will at some point join into the fellowship of his sufferings, as it says in Philippians 3, verse 10. Expect it. Prepare for it. Have a biblical perspective when it comes. But then he adds this, a little word of hope, verse 20. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, it's true that the vast majority of the people in the world are going to reject Christ, and they're going to reject his truth, but some people will believe. If they kept my word, there's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be a minority whom God through Christ will call and who will respond by faith and repentance, come to God's offer of forgiveness of sin and salvation in Christ. If they kept my word, then they will keep yours also, meaning there will be some who will actually listen to the disciples as they take the message of the gospel to the world. They'll accept their message and they'll come to faith in Christ. So it's dark without question, but not entirely so. He wants them to know that. There are some people who believe the gospel. There are some people who repent and believe upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like some of us in this room. Amen? God in his kindness, open our hearts to the truth. We repented, we believe. 
And there's a tremendous amount of joy on our part because we've been forgiven and we see the truth. And there's a tremendous amount of joy that comes to our heart when we share the truth with somebody and they respond in saving faith. They respond to faith in Christ because now they've just escaped eternal condemnation and now they can give glory due to God and Christ that they both deserve in time. That all far outweighs the troubles and sorrows we endure as we're hated by a hostile world around us that hates the truth and hates God and hates Christ. So why does the world hate the followers of Christ so much? Well, the world rejects and hates those who aren't aren't part of it. The world hates Christians because it hated Jesus Christ. And number three, the world hates Christians because it doesn't know God. It doesn't know God. Verse 21. But in all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake because you represent me. Now persecution as a believer comes in this world and it's not directly at, uh, completely directed at us alone. It comes our direction because we represent Christ. Again, Christ has ascended to heaven. They can't get to him. They can get to us. They hate Christ. They can't get to him. They can get to us who represent him. We represent Christ. All these things he will do to you for my name's sake. Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Matthew 10, verse 22. You will be hated by all on account of my name. Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation, will kill you. You will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Mark 13, 13, You will be hated by all on account of my name. Luke 6, 22, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you. Spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Speaking to Ananias uh, concerning uh, the Apostle Paul, Jesus says in Acts 9, verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. 1 Peter 4, verse 14, If you were reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit and the glory of God rests upon you. Listen, persecution is going to come for a believer in this world because they represent Christ. And suffering for the name of Christ has been the way it has been since the beginning of the church. And ultimately, the world hates Jesus and hates Jesus' followers because they don't know God. Verse 21, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. One of the great impediments of coming to a knowledge of the true truth is actually religion. Religious people. Religious stands, religiousness or religion stands in the, in the way really is the greatest hindrance to the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the true God. All through Jesus' ministry, he claimed the Father had sent him. And he repeatedly proved that by both word and deed. He did those things and said those things that no mere man could ever do or say. Yet the religious leaders, the Jews, uh, the religious leaders of Israel, they rejected him. And I've told you before, numerous times, they, 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 they never once denied his miraculous power because it was undeniable. They just attributed his supernatural power to Satan. 
They said he was of the devil. And in their fallen human pride, these religious leaders of Israel, they thought they had a deep knowledge of truth. They thought they had a deep knowledge of God. But they didn't know God whatsoever. They hated God. They hated Christ. They hated Christ, and Christ is none other than Emmanuel. God with us, God in human flesh, they hated him. That's why Jesus said to these false religious leaders, John 8 and 44, you're of your father the devil. That's who your father is. Your father is the devil. You want to do the desires of your father? He's a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies. That is who the father of all false religious systems is in this world. It's the devil, his cohorts, his demons. And what men do in their fallenness is they reject the true and the living God, and they create their own God out of their own fallen imagination, and they worship him, even though that false God doesn't exist, only in the fallen imagination of their fallen mind. Because fallen people, unregenerate people, don't want the truth. You can tell me anything you want, just don't tell me the truth. You can come with every kind of crazy story about aliens landing in your backyard, and people go, oh, yeah, man, that's true. Saw an alien walking right next to Bigfoot last week. People go, oh, man, let's do a news story on it and get a TV special going. You say, let me tell you about the person of Jesus Christ. You get on TV, you're never going to find anything that's helpful on TV. If they're searching for the historical Jesus, they'll never turn to the Bible because they don't want that Jesus. They want the Jesus who will bow to Santa Claus and Rudolph and every other kind of cultural trappings of a false religious system that tries to feel good about itself at Christmas time, but rejects the Savior, rejects the person who has the reason that we have Christmas. And again, it's not, in a fallen world, it's not that men don't have access to truth. They have it if they want it, but they don't want it. But unbelieving men do. What unbelieving women do is they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They fight against that truth. They hold the truth down in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. That's the hardness of man's heart. Dead in trespasses and sins because of the rebellion against God They reject the truth, and not only reject it, they fight against it. That's the religious leaders of Israel in that false system. They had the entire Old Testament. They knew from the book of Genesis the promises concerning the coming of Messiah. They knew what he would be like. They knew what he would do when he came, his power, his his grace, his kindness, his compassion. And when Jesus showed up and he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, the religious leaders rejected him and they murdered him. False religion, religion at any kind apart from biblical truth is always an impediment to coming to a knowledge of true truth. And Jesus Christ is God's perfect revelation to mankind. And if you reject perfection, if you reject truth, if you reject the one who says, I am the way, the truth, 
in the life and no one comes to the Father but through me, then you have just put yourself outside of hope and you've just put yourself in the position of condemnation because you have just knowingly rejected the greatest, fullest possible revelation of God to mankind, the person of Jesus Christ. And not only did the religious leaders reject Christ, they sought to dissuade other people from following him also. Therefore, their rejection of him was inexcusable and irreversible. That's why Jesus warned these guys, these religious leaders. Matthew 12, verse 31, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Again, all the demonstrations of the miraculous power of Christ, the compassion of Christ, all that he had done was done by the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore rejecting him and attributing Christ's power to Satan, these men were purposefully blaspheming the Holy Spirit. These men are not uh, uh, victims of that. We just didn't understand. and we're so, No, they are evil. When you reject the truth, you are in the category of evil. When you reject the Savior, you're in the category of evil. Christ is the deliverer. He's saying, come out of that kingdom. Come out of that realm. There's no one that needs to be mistaken. No one that should not understand the truth because the truth is available. It's found in God's word. And the truth incarnate is found in the person of Jesus Christ. There aren't going to be any excuses on the day of judgment. I didn't know. That's a lie of Satan. These guys knew. They weren't well-intentioned. They knew. They rejected Christ. Therefore, they're not going to be forgiven. They had a full knowledge of the truth. They'd fully rejected knowing the full irrefutable revelation of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's nothing more for them to see. There's nothing more for them to hear. Nothing that could change their hard hearts because they refused to embrace the truth of Christ. And that's the way it is for everyone outside the kingdom. Jesus Christ is not an option amongst many options. He is the only truth. And the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. We've spoken a lot through this series about the irrationality of unbelief. And again, how Jesus over and over and over and over and over again proved who he was. And he repeatedly warned these people, these religious leaders. John eight twenty four. I said, therefore to you, you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am... You shall die in your sin. The world hates Christians. Christians aren't of this world. The world hates Christians because it hates Christ. The world hates Christ. The world hates Christians because it doesn't know God. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. Now again, at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth during his... uh, Incarnation, Judaism had completely apostatized. Long since lost touch with truth. Long since lost touch with the person of God himself. They served only their own purposes. Ignorance was the defining characteristic of their age, and ignorance is the defining characteristic of the age in which we live. 
those who crucified the Lord Jesus then and those who deny him now lack understanding. Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they'd understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. They are willfully ignorant. And you know as well as I do, a lot of people out there <clears throat> think they know God. A lot of people who think they know God, but they don't. Or they reject God. They reject Christ. A lot of people who think they're spiritual. A lot of people who claim to love Jesus. A lot of religious people, theologians, priests, pastors, religious figures. But they don't know God because they reject the truth. They reject God's written truth, the Bible. And again, they've rejected God's greatest revelation, truth incarnate. Uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God desires all men to be saved and come to an knowledge of the truth. But listen, unrighteous men don't want that. They don't want that. So again, I think you have to understand in the context of the story here that these men, these religious leaders that are persecuting Christ, coming to arrest him here just in a couple hours, they have a great and a greater responsibility in rejecting the truth. Look at the personal pronouns. <clears throat> Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Again, here in the the context of the story, Jesus had revealed himself over and over again to this generation, to these religious rulers of Israel. Again, they had the truth written in the Old Testament. They had the truth incarnate standing right in their presence, and he, he was rejected. They rejected him. I come and spoken to them. They would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse. Again, repeatedly, uh, probably begs the point, but repeatedly, all through his ministry, he said uh, that it was God the Father who had sent him. They wouldn't listen. John five twenty four. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Doesn't come into judgment. John five thirty six. This is the witness is greater than. Uh, than that of John for the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish the very works I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me and the Father has sent me and he's come and bore witness of me you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form John 7 verse 16 my teaching is not mine but him who sent me verse 28 of that chapter he who sent me is true whom you do not know I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. John 8, 18. I am he who bears witness of myself, and the Father sent me, bears witness of me. He was saying this to them. They were saying this to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered and said, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew, you would know my father also. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God you were father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. John 8, 54, 55, John 12, verse 49, he did not, I did not speak in my own initiative, but the Father himself has sent me. I mean, it just goes on and on. All these things they will do to you for my namesake, because you do not know the one who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, verse 22, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for the sin. He's just saying these men have an increased responsibility because they heard the person of truth speak the truth. The person who is from heaven, the person who is from God the Father with the words of God the Father who sent him, he spoke the truth and they rejected him. 
Therefore, not only did they reject him, but they rejected the Father who sent him. Verse 23, he who hates me hates the Father also. They hated Christ who wanted to kill him. They hated the Father who sent Christ into this lost world to represent him. Therefore, they hate the Father also. And again, the responsibility of the rejection of these men was great, not only because they heard Christ speak, but they'd seen him work and do those things again that no one else but God himself could do. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Now, when Jesus says, if, they, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. He's not speaking of sin in general, but rather he's just addressing the specific sin of them willfully rejecting Christ in the face of full revelation. Again, they'd witnessed for three years his life. They witnessed firsthand his miraculous power. They had heard his teaching that both testified unmistakably of God and unmistakably of his own deity. And in the end, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, concluded that Jesus was from Satan. He did what he did by the power of Satan. He cast out demons by the power of Satan. They rejected him in total. Again, therefore, they hate him and they hate the Father who sent him. And the truth is, the one who is from Satan is the religious leaders of Israel. That's the, that's the truth. They were the ones from Satan. First John 2, verse 22, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So the world's without excuse. Their rejection of Christ is unforgivable. It's abjectly wicked. But the whole thing doesn't catch God off guard whatsoever. In fact, it's all part of God's sovereign plan. The Lord goes on and says this, verse 25, but they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled as it is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. That's a quote out of uh, Psalm 35, verse 19, Psalm 69, verse 4. They're two Davidic Psalms. And the Lord just uses them to point out the fact that here's David. He's a man after God's own heart. And people hated him so much, this man after God's own heart. If the, if the world could hate David, then how much more could they hate the sinless Son of God when he comes? The world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus because he exposes their sins. He confronts them with the reality of who he is and who they are. He confronts them with the reality that they're sinners in need of a Savior. He confronts them with the reality that there's nothing that they can do in and of themselves except to repent and place their faith squarely upon him. But men reject that truth because they love their evil. They love their sin. And men in darkness love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. So all men are without excuse. The world hates Jesus Christ. Jesus says, again, there's no valid reason they hate him. He says this, they hated me without a cause. And that's what the world did then. That's what the world continues to do in the day in which we live. There's nothing different. The world hates Christians. The world hates Christ with an utmost passion, completely without cause. And again, the world's going to hate those who faithfully belong to him and represent him well in a fallen world. Listen, we just need to realize that. We just need to realize that if we're going to follow Christ, be faithful to him in a wicked world, that we're going to suffer 
at the hands of a God-hating, Christ-hating world. And if you're not willing to do that, again, I'm not saying going out to encourage it because it'll come. But if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be his disciple. Because there's a high price to follow Christ. The rewards are much higher, but there's a high price to pay, and Christ calls us to utmost fidelity to him and to him alone. Matthew 10, verse 33, Whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me.